still with them. So, Father God, we just love you. We honor you. We worship you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Check, check. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Matt Fisher, and I am part of the team here. It is a great honor um, to be able to get up here and speak before you all today. Um, we are continuing our series that we've been doing the last few weeks called Embody. And this series has really been about kind of a simple concept, but also the most complicated thing in the world, which is just what is it to be human? Um, what is it to be a soul in a body? Um, and what does any of that have to do with this guy that we're so obsessed with around here named Jesus. So thank you so much for being here. Um, <clears throat> I know before we get started, oh, well, the first thing that I need to do before we get started is go all the way back to the first slide and figure out how to use my own technology. So um, <clears throat> before we get started, I do want to acknowledge that it is, for many of you, a special Sunday. Um, I know that uh, I have an understanding that today is, stands out for a lot of you as a time when you uh, celebrate this very majestic animal. Um, it's an above average great bird. That's right, today is Superb Owl Sunday, uh, as I understand it. <laughs> Apparently Taylor Swift is gonna ride a giant owl. I don't know, there's something going on, um, but we're super excited um, that you're here because we know that you are thinking about where you're gonna get Doritos and what kind of wings are you gonna get and uh, all of that. So thanks for being here. Um, so I don't wanna bury the lead. I try to always kind of like <clears throat> not save the end to the end and, and give you guys a little bit up front. So I wanna let you know before we get into it that today we are gonna be talking or I am gonna be sort of talking in very sort of psychological terms. We're gonna be talking it's a little bit more of like a clinical message maybe than normal. I struggled with that. Um, I sat and talked to John about it uh, midweek. I was like, I don't know where I'm going with this sermon. Like, I don't know if I should be more relational or just go into the, into the science of it all. And so I kind of landed somewhere in between. But I wanted you to know that the reason that I am taking the approach that I'm taking is that psychology, if you think about the word, is made of, of two key words, which is psyche, and then ology means the study of, biology, um, physiology, ology is the study of. But psyche, in the original Greek, Paul used it to describe the soul. So psychology has sort of always been the study of the soul, or at least it should be. Um, so bear with me, take lots of notes, take lots of pictures. If you're the kind of person who likes to get in your head about stuff, then today is, is for you for sure. But if you're the kind of person who is like, oh, Matt's gonna lead us through like a college course, I promise I will not. Um, if nothing else, there'll be more Super Bowl jokes uh, at some point. So the three uh, big bullet points today that I want you to remember up top and walk away with uh, at the end is this, we are built for relationships. We are all screwing it up, every single one of us, but there is an answer. So remember these three key points as we walk through today's lesson. Now, 
We've been talking a lot about Genesis in this series. I used to be very confused by the book of Genesis, and then I started to not like it, and now I'm kind of at a place in my life where I love it. Um, I even have like a comic book that like retells all of Genesis that I really like. Um, can anyone, you don't have to say it out loud, but I guess think uh, in your head, or if you want to blurt it out, go for it. Somebody did last service. What is the first bad thing that happens in the Bible all the way back in Genesis? Snake, that's a good answer. There is a snake. Um, that is a good answer. So let's stick with that answer. The snake, the fall, all of those things. Um, I'm gonna look at it a little differently. See, in Genesis 1.10, um, good things start to happen. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And the earth uh, in, in verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. So things started to be sort of arranged into like genus and subcategory. And God saw it, and it was? In verse 21, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, including the superb owl. And God saw that it was In verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, cattle according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. We're getting there. In verse 31, we take it one step further. Then God saw everything that he'd made, and indeed it was very good. So here comes the first bad part. It's not quite the snake, though. That's a very, very good answer. In uh, chapter 2, verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. The first negative thing in the story of the universe was that God looked down at this unbelievable creation he made and he said, ah, oh, it's not good for, for man to be alone. And of course, man at this point means humans. It's not good for us to be alone because of my first point. We are built for relationships. Relationships are not a nice to have. Relationships are a must for our flourishing physically, psychologically, relationally, and spiritually. We are built for relationships. So why don't we always think of it this way? Well. We live in, a, and we talk about this a lot, we live in a country and in a culture that loves individualization, that loves uniqueness. We uh, wanna pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be um, like, go out onto the range and set up posts and start a farm and be self-sufficient. That's what the American ideal is. But it really started in Europe. Um, well, people have always been selfish and individualized, but our current uh, sort of situation started in Europe in the early 20th century with these guys. Um, this is Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, geniuses. These are sort of the godfathers of what we consider psychology today in a lot of ways. Really, really geniuses. Um, I had a philosophy professor one time that had a great quote about Sigmund Freud. He said, Sigmund Freud could have been a great and beloved philosopher, but he chose to be a brilliant and problematic doc doctor. Um, and Carl Jung, uh, we could go into the whole thing. The main thing to understand is that these guys were epic frenemies. They accused each other of cheating on each other's wives. They would burn each other's papers. Then they would get together and like have coffee and talk about things. They, it was wild. If you ever want to Google Freud and Jung, they had a crazy relationship. But there's one thing that they agreed upon. 
And that was this idea of individuation. This is a very clinical word, individuation. It basically is just the process, very necessary and very good for every human being to learn to, stand, to truly stand on your own two feet. You know, you're, um, you're breastfed or you, uh, you drink formula and eventually you wanna learn to eat solid food and be on your own. That's part of individuation. Um, you are held and carried everywhere, and if you've ever been around a grouchy uh, baby that w is ready to walk, you want to walk. You want to do things on your own, individuation. And it goes all the way into, well, it can go your whole life, depending on a couple of different things. <laughs> you, cutting the cord is a, is a long um, process. But it goes into like 25, 26 years old until you're like fully individuated from your primary caregiver. So they agreed on this idea of individuation. Not a bad idea, very core to understanding how we work as human beings. But uh, I would say both of them kind of overdid it a little bit, or maybe we took what they learned and overdid it. But it was very much about like, to be a fully formed self, to be a healthy individual, you have to be fully individuated and stand on your own two feet and sort of be like an island under yourself. Um, now, jump across the ocean here to America where a lot of us grew up. Um, but really all over in the West. And uh, we have what I'm kind of calling generational individuality. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're a boomer or a Gen Z or a millennial or a Gen Xer, we all had some version of this. Some of us, it was the cowboy. It was the John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, like do it yourself, you don't need anybody else. Um, you, you're the hero, you're the sort of anti-hero sometimes. Um, you do it on your own. For some of us, it was like the tortured artist, like this idea of this like tortured genius individual who um, gives all of this creative energy and sort of like creates culture out of their brokenness, but also out of their uniqueness and their individuality. Um, for some of us, it's like the super sports star. Um, this has always kind of been a thing, but it really started to come of age in the 80s and 90s, and like Michael Jordan is the best example that um, I can think of, where he would not have said, oh, I carried the Chicago Bulls, but I don't know anything about sports and I could tell you who Michael Jordan is. So it's like that idea of the, the superstar. Um, and then Gen Z is not off the hook. Now we have YouTubers. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, these guys are from Five Nights at Freddy's or something. Um, and so, uh, it's, again, it's this idea that if you talk to a 12-year-old kid and you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? A lot of the time they're like, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to buy myself in my bedroom, make a bajillion dollars, and be self-sufficient. Um, and so we idolize this idea of individuality, and it really sort of overshadows a core reality of how God created us, which is that we are built for relationships. So that's the psychology and the culture. Um, somewhere in the early 80s, things start to shift. Um, there is a growing sort of movement in especially the psychological and counseling communities that are both people of faith and totally secular, you know, atheist or agnostic sort of humanists that are starting to admit to themselves, I don't know that we're meant to do this on our own. Um, there's a bunch of things that you can learn about or go over. Um, there's a thing called RFPT, there's relational psychotherapy, there's, I could throw a bunch of letters at you. Um, but one of, one of them, and the one that I'm gonna focus on today, because I really feel like it plays out what we learn in the Bible, is this idea of attachment theory. So um, attachment theory, again, is a clinical term. This is something that you can Google and read about from either a Christian perspective or like a totally secular perspective. Um, I 
will mount my argument for being a deeply Christian ideal, but um, attachment theory is essentially uh, says that the groundwork for a lot of our psychology and our mental health is laid in the first two to five years of life based on the health of our attachment to at least one primary caregiver. Uh, statistically, that's mom, um, but it can be grandma, grandpa, dad, uncle, aunt, foster parent. It's whoever is really taking care of you when you're, when you're really, really little. I didn't say this last, uh, last service, but I think it's important to understand that this is almost the science of this concept that we talk about of like brokenness or like original sin, that like we're all sort of born into sin. It's not this like dark magic that you're born with. It's just this inevitable reality where no matter what, there are things about me and about you that are formed before you have a choice. Like you don't get to choose what parents you have. You don't get to choose what you were like when you were six months old. You know, and, and your parents probably weren't perfect. Actually, they weren't perfect. And if they were, let's say your parents were perfect, you went out into an imperfect world and that hurt even more because you came from this place of safety and security. A simpler way of saying it is a great quote by Dr. Kurt Thompson. We all are born into the world looking for someone who's looking for us. We remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. When I first read that quote, it bowled me over. We are all born into this world looking for someone who's looking for us. Last, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, John brought up, do you remember, probably 10 years ago at this point on Facebook, it was like a really popular video of people making eye contact, like just strangers sitting and doing like three minutes of eye contact, and most of the time they just start weeping because we're all looking for someone who's looking for us. So I'm not gonna unpack this all the way to its end for a couple of different reasons. A, I am a little low-key afraid of the, uh, the, the kids ministry people. Like when I let you all out late, I'm like, man, are they gonna jump me after this? Like, they, they are real sweet, but I'm not trying to cross them, so I'm not gonna go way over. Um, but I also don't want you guys sitting there like self-diagnosing. When you learn stuff like this, it's really, really easy to be like, oh my gosh, I'm screwing my kids up, or oh my gosh, I was screwed up, or, um, you know, to go all the way to the end. I don't want you to do that. We're gonna to get to why this is not a negative thing and why there's a lot of hope. But I do wanna give you the basic overview of attachment theory. And it breaks down into two types of attachments, secure and insecure. Now, right off the bat, secure sounds positive and insecure sounds negative, I understand that. That's not true and I'm gonna to explain to you why. Statistically, most of us actually have a secure attachment. So if you struggle with anxiety or depression or problems with parents or problems with parenting or any of that stuff, it doesn't automatically mean you have an insecure attachment. People with secure and insecure attachments can have the exact same issues, problems, and growth areas. But there are two basic types of attachment, secure attachment and insecure attachment. Now, to have a secure attachment is, and I'll get into this in a second, definitely a benefit. It doesn't not matter. Right? And so if you are somebody who is thinking of having kids or has young kids or is sitting here trying to unpack how you screwed up your kids, which is what I did when I started to learn about this stuff, um, there is like something to be said for knowing what a secure attachment is. If you have no interest in having kids, if you have no interest in, um, I don't know, uh, teaching kids, if, if kids are just not part of your life, it's also important to know what a secure attachment is for your own, like work 
And this work can be applied to your friendships, to your partnerships, um, to your marriage, to your dating life, um, to know what a secure attachment is. But I'm gonna talk about it in terms of sort of early childhood development. There are six things that all of us are built to need. Now, when I say built to need, I am not talking evolutionarily, although I do believe that evolution is a thing. I'm talking about built in this big cosmic term. Like, I'm talking about God built us to need these six things. And the problem about acknowledging a sort of creation mindset sometimes, or a challenge for some of us, is that um, we're acknowledging that we need things that no human being can give us. We're saying, hey, we're actually built for affection, we're actually built for relationship, and then you have to figure out all the ways that it's not perfect. So. As I go over these six core things that build a secure attachment, I want you to understand that no one in this room perfectly received all of those things, okay? So here are the six things. I'll leave this up for a second because it is a lot. Um, to create a secure attachment, you need to attune. You need to respond, repent, engage, regulate, and receive. Attune is to be attuned to the needs of the child and not distracted by your own thoughts, feelings, and desires. Now, for moms in here especially, um, that feels triggering because it's like, yeah, I know, I denied myself for a really long time to make sure this baby had everything they had. It's not about repressing your thoughts and needs and desires. If you repress them, they will distract you. Um, it's about learning to process them. It's about figuring out a way to do that in groups of other parents that can listen, mentorship. We'll get into all that stuff in a second. But So attune. Respond. If you can determine the need, respond. Um, ask yourself, when I had a need, was I responded to? To ask yourself, was I attuned to? Repent. And I like this quote from Adam Young, who's a, a therapist, a Christian therapist. A healthy, trusting attachment is not built on the absence of failure, but on the willingness of the parent to own and rectify failures when they do occur. I have no doubt, I think my kids are here, so they can verify. Uh, I have no doubt that I'm screwing up a million different ways, right, Clarabelle? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm screwing up a million different ways, but one thing that Jenny and I always, always try to do is to remember to repent to our kids, to take a moment to honestly say, hey, we've never done this before, we could have done that better, or I could have done that better, and would, would you forgive me? Um, engage. Pursue them without needing anything from them. This is a big one. This is also true in your friendships, in your marriages, Unfortunately, the way that things work in a broken world with all of us is that often when we say I love you, what we mean is I love the way you make me feel. It's about needing something from somebody. When you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you need nothing from them but love in return. So engaging is to pursue them without needing anything from them. To, to look at that baby or that, or that partner, that person you're dating, that friend of yours, your own parents, and realize like you want them, you don't need them. That you cannot depend on another human being to give you purpose, that is God's job. So engage, regulate. As an infant, you had absolutely no ability to regulate your own primal feelings, hunger, anger, these types of things. 
However, if your caregiver was able to discern your need and act to meet it, then they enabled you to learn how to regulate yourself, to calm your own anxiety, and spring to life again when you're shutting down. Regulation is not just calm down, it's also get excited. You can be dysregulated and be calm all the time, but not know how to be excited when something cool or fun or exciting is happening. So regulate, receive. Did your parents receive your anger, your sadness, and your fear? As a child, you needed to be free to express negative emotions, to cry, rage, or fall silent. Knowing that you would be responded to in a loving, meaningful way and with boundaries based in love, not anger or fear. You needed to know deep down that your emotions were accepted and allowed even when your parent had to set a boundary for your growth and your safety. Nobody in here had a parent that never lost their temper because no one's perfect. I have never, I mean, I lose my temper all the time. Like I set boundaries with, out of anger uh, because things aren't going my way or I set boundaries out of fear because I'm afraid that my kids will grow up X, Y, Z way. But we deserve, if you read back um, in, in the creation story, when God is walking in the cool of the day and being in relationship with Adam and Eve, he sets boundaries without anger or rage or fear. It's just like sort of a calm response to their iniquity or, or sin. Um, so these are the six things we need, and they are the six things that almost none of us get perfectly and almost none of us receive perfectly. But it's important to know that this is what you're built for. So that leads to my next point. We're all screwing it up. None of us are getting it totally right. In John, Jesus says, he who is without sin among you, cast the first stone. Again, the point of this teaching is not to tear apart your parents or to tear apart yourself as a parent or as a teacher or a friend or a companion. Um, it's to understand that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the more that we understand that and the more we can unpack that and sometimes intellectualize it, um, the more likely we are to be able to figure out the problem and grow from it. Um, so secure, I'm gonna kind of like break these into analogies because I love analogies and it's complicated, but I wanna get through it. Secure attachment is like starting a business with an investment. Um, so an investment is somebody comes and says, hey, I'm going to give you this startup money, and then I expect, you, I expect a return on the investment, right? Like I give you $10, and even if it takes 10 years, I want you to give me back $20. Um, but it's not a loan. So secure attachment, you don't owe the money back, but you live under the expectation that you will make good on the investment. Um, how many of us, uh, so, so let's say you have a secure attachment. Um, let's say you take a test online or you do some work with a therapist and you're like, yeah, you know, there's problems, but I definitely had a secure attachment as a, as a small child. Your parent invested in you. They gave you startup money to go into kindergarten and start making friends, to go into middle school and start playing sports, like to do the relational work of being a human being. But like any good investor, most parents expect a return on their investment. How many of us have ever heard, I gave you the best years of my life? <laughs> or... You feel pressure to care for or meet the expectations of that parent. Sometimes you feel pressure to parent the way that they parented or to be married the way that they were married. Um, a parent, also, a parent who excels 
at uh, babies, who's, who's good at babies, which is that first two to five years, doesn't always excel at teenagers. And so there can be brokenness and hurt there. Um, sometimes a parent can go through a massive life change, a loss of a job or an addiction or a divorce, death, and you have a secure attachment because they were with you and do, filling, fulfilling your needs for two to five years, and then all of a sudden something changes. So secure attachment is not like a guaranteed great thing all of the time. It's just important to understand. It's like an investment. Um, securely another downside to secure attachment um, is that securely attached people tend to be extra hurt by insecure people in places. So it's hard to be a whole person in a broken world. A lot of the time, kids, and I was one of them that... Um, that uh, struggle with, um, what's it called? Like when they won't stop crying uh, and you drop them off. What is it? Colic. Colic sometimes. I'm trying to think of, uh, separation anxiety. <laughs> Could not remember that stinking word. Separation anxiety. So you drop them off at pre preschool and they won't stop crying until the preschool calls and it's like, you gotta come pick this kid up. And then they're fine when you get there, right? Over, like secure attachment can sometimes uh, lead to that as well. Um, so secure attachment is not a free, a free ride for anybody, but there are definite upsides. You enter life and you enter relationships with confidence, with stability, um, and with a good groundwork to build healthy relationships. It's just not always easy to respond to other people's unhealthy attachments. <clears throat> Insecure attachment. Insecure attachment is like starting a business with a loan, which is a perfectly fine way to start a business. You, it means that you start the business in debt. You take out a loan and you are... 500 emotional dollars in debt because you have an insecure attachment. You start life off at a relational and emotional deficit. You've given an, you're kind of given a negative balance and you've been told to sort of work it up into a positive balance. <laughs> Lots of people do this, it's not impossible. Um, I know people and work with people in counseling with insecure attachments that are blowing by their growth of their compatriots with secure attachment. So it's not all bad news. Um, people with insecure attachments have a more clear path to growth because the problem is more readily recognizable. Um, I can't tell you how many people come into my office and are like, I have this problem in my friendships, in my marriage, in myself, and I just can't figure it out. I had a great childhood. Um, it's hard. You, you did have a great childhood, but you didn't have a perfect childhood. This stuff is still going on. It's hard to figure that out. People with insecure attachments, people with, with clear childhood trauma, it's hard, but, but in some ways simpler. They come in and they go like, yeah, my dad drank too much and I need to unpack that, or my mom abandoned us when I was 10 and I need to unpack that. There's a clear path to like, okay, well, let's work on that and we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. So there's upsides and downsides to both insecure and secure attachment. Sorry, I mixed up my, uh, my slides here. Um, all right, so that brings us to our final point. I feel like I've set up a lot of problems and a lot of maybe even feeling hopeless of like, okay, so what do I do? Nobody's perfect. Um, well, that's my third point. There is an answer to all of this. Now, when you're in church and you don't know the answer, what's the answer? Jesus. Right, Sunday school. We all learned that in Sunday school. Jesus is the answer. <clears throat> I actually don't like these billboards. <laughs> They, I, I always like felt kind of guilty for feeling angry about them when I would drive by them on the highway. And while I was writing the sermon, I finally figured out why they agitate me even still. I really do believe Jesus is the answer. But putting a billboard up like this on the highway is like a five-year-old coming to you and saying, I fell over on the playground. Why did I fall over? And just handing them this. <laughs> that's gravity. That's like the, that's the, okay, that is the answer to why you fell over, but you know, help me unpack it, right? Um, so Jesus is the answer, and here's why. 
Thank you all for being here today. We really appreciate it. <laughs> so this is uh, an actual diagram uh, from a, a really interesting website on, on psychology, psychiatry, and, and uh, attachment theory. It is a real diagram for what's called earned secure attachment, sort of the secret third attachment. Um, earned secure attachment is what many experts, both Christian and non-Christian, say is the bridge to healthy attachment. Um, I'm going to try, I'm not going to unpack this whole <laughs> diagram. If you want to take a picture and figure it out, good. good. But um, so much of what Jesus teaches us is right here. He, 2,000 years ago, did a great job at setting us up for this. We're, just, we're spending all this time and money and science trying to unpack what what he already taught us. Um, even if you just look up in the top left corner, being intentional, how often do you hear that at church? How often, if you've gone here for any amount of time, do we talk about intentionality, being intentional with your relationships, joining a small group or doing a discipleship class? Um, so this is, the, this is the diagram for this thing called earned secure attachment. Essentially, earned secure attachment is healing the disappointed um, healing the disappointment and pressure of secure attachment and the anxiety and avoidance of insecure attachment by forming healthy relationships as an adult. And the way that we do that is it's kind of like a surrogacy program um, in which you build intentional relationships that heal the hurt of growing up by allowing you to kind of like do it over again with somebody who's not your primary caregiver. So somebody who doesn't have all the baggage of your actual parents, siblings, Childhood best friend. Um, I have time, so I'm going to use this uh, example. Everyone's familiar with the term PTSD, right? Like that's a fairly common but post-traumatic stress disorder. When we hear PTSD, there's lots of different types of PTSD. But when we hear it, what comes up for a lot of us is like uh, it happens to soldiers a lot. Like they come back from war and they are traumatized by what they saw. They have post-traumatic stress disorder. And I know for a lot of us, I know for me, what kind of pops up is a scene, when you hear PTSD, is a scene of like um, a soldier who's come home and he's in bed at night and it's safe and he, he or she is with their partner and their kids are safe and everything's fine and they jump up in the middle of the night and they like flip their bed over and they, they're back at war. Like, like they're having that experience of reliving their traumatizing moment. Um, this is how our brains work. It's just an extreme version of it. Um, we try to relive moments of hurt or moments of um, trauma, either big T or little t, trauma, to try to get a different outcome. That's what that PTSD sufferer is doing in that moment. They are trying to relive the battle that traumatized them and get a different outcome, even though it's not happening anymore. You don't have to have PTSD to do this. Um, if you remember that in third grade, little Susie was mean to you and you came home crying, and maybe dad was at work and mom was having a stressful day and just couldn't, just wasn't at her best in a totally normal human way. And she said to you, don't be such a baby or get over it or you're too much. If you remember that, it's, it's in there. You are trying, there is a part of you that is trying to relive that moment and do it differently or get a different outcome, okay? So earned secure attachment is about finding these sort of like surrogate relationships in our lives that can help us go back to those moments, big or small, and um, heal them, work them out. Uh, it's, a, it's a deep sort of soul healing thing. So I'm gonna give you the more practical elements of this. There's just three quick things that you can jot down. 
Um, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why it's really important that we're learning this here and that we're learning it in the context of what Jesus did for us. Um, for earned secure attachment, and this is basically what that diagram says, we need mentorship, we need community, and we need counseling. Um, counseling is not always a clinical therapist, although clinical therapists can be great. Um, we'll get to that in a second. So mentorship is being parented without the baggage. That really is what mentorship comes down to. It doesn't have to be somebody who as, is as old as your mom or dad. It can be somebody younger than you. It's just somebody who there's something about them that can sort of help reparent you in a way that um, heals that, that part of you. Um, sometimes it's about physical attachment. Sometimes it's about intellectual attachment. Don't, if you have like a business coach, don't like go in for the hug this week and tell them that I told you to do that unless they want, if they're cool with it, go for it. Um, but it's, it's, so it's not always about like affection and stuff. It's just about having a mentor, having somebody that helps reparent parts of you without the baggage. Community, being vulnerable with a core group of people who can reach, um, who can each add puzzle, a puzzle piece that might be missing. So entering into community, something we are constantly, that's what we're here for. If you're just here to listen to me talk, I apologize. If you're here for the band, you made a good decision. They are great. But really why we're here is to try to find community, even if it's just to sit with other people in a room on a Sunday. We're looking for community. We're looking to be vulnerable with a core group of people who can each add a puzzle piece that might be missing. When you get into a group of people you can trust, you can very easily start to be healed of these insecure attachments and of the dark side of secure attachment by each, you know, this person sort of reminds me of um, mom in a way and they're like treating me really well in a way that maybe mom didn't. Or this person kind of reminds me of that kid that was mean to me in fourth grade, but they're doing a better job and so they're sort of like healing. It's community is about um, increasing your likelihood to have that sort of like relational mirroring healing. Um, as a, of your attachment style. Counseling, again, therapy, I have been in clinical therapy for a long time, I have benefited from it, and it is absolutely something that um, you should think about doing or not. Uh, pastoral counseling, spiritual direction, sometimes mentorship can be counseling. Counseling is being able to feel your feelings and share your thoughts with someone who can calmly receive them with your best interest in mind. Remember how we talked about mom and dad don't always calmly receive your feelings in a safe way, that sometimes they respond with fear or anger? Having a counselor that you trust um, is a really great way to just be able to like say what you're thinking, say what you're feeling to somebody who is safe and calm and who you're not gonna, you're not gonna ruin their day. A trained counselor does not take their work home with them. You don't need to worry about bumping into them on Thanksgiving dinner and what they're gonna you know, think about what you said. Um, it's just having that safe presence. My, uh, one of my mentors in counseling said that um, as a pastoral counselor, all I really have, I can keep learning about all of this stuff, but all I really have to offer people is my transformed and transforming presence. It's having a calm um, presence that has like sort of a loving detachment um, in it. So how does this all turn, uh, tie in to Jesus? Well, like I said before, the reason this stuff fascinates me um, as a pastor is I think it's interesting that science, psychology, medicine, I think it's interesting when we find those times when it seems to just be unpacking something that's already in the Bible. 
and that it's worth more thought. And that even like that diagram I showed you, even sort of quote unquote secular thought, kind of, I like it when they kind of accidentally say something biblical because to me it feels like proof. <laughs> like, okay, well, you accidentally came to this uh, conclusion so maybe there's something to it. Um, but when it comes to Jesus, here is what Jesus did to revolutionize attachment and to basically invent earned attachment before we even knew what psychology was. It was one word. I'm gonna say that it was one word. Um, this is uh, Aramaic, and the word that's circled is uh, pronounced abwun. This is our father. So that was the Aramaic version of, of the Lord's Prayer. It was really the only time in the Bible that Jesus kind of turns to the guys and is like, let me show you how to do it real quick. Um, this is a prayer. This is the prayer you can pray. This is how we pray. And he opens it with this word, this Aramaic word, abwun, our father. This is important for a couple of different reasons, and I could do a whole nother message on this, but um, he spoke Aramaic because it was the, it was the language of the people. Uh, he did not speak, he was not speaking Greek to them. He was not speaking Hebrew. Um, Aramaic was sort of the common language of that area. And so abwun uh, means our father, and it comes from this word, Abba. Um, not only the international dance sensation, Abba, uh, which is also healing in so many different ways, but uh, Abba. Abba means dad in a way. So father, which would have been potter, is a little more formal. That's like, um, I can't think of a, of, a, of a modern version of how we would use father, but I mean, imagine if you had to have a serious conversation with one of your parents and you opened with father. Your dad would be like, what, I don't, what are you about to say? Why'd you call me father, right? Um, but Abba is also not quite like daddy uh, or like um, papa. It's dad. It's respectful of the God of the universe, but also familiar in a way that blew people's minds. This is a philosophical, psychological, theological, and spiritual contribution that Jesus gave us that I think completely changed the way that we relate to ourselves and to the universe. Um, the idea of calling God dad, I, I have not found any comparison to it. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but in Hinduism, in Buddhism, um, in Islam, uh, the idea of God as dad uh, is not something that I found. And the reason that it is important for what we've been talking about today and why it's the most important thing is because Jesus knew that our parents would not be perfect. Jesus knew that his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, were not perfect. He knew that we, that we wouldn't be perfect parents or friends or partners. That's why he made sure that every human being on earth for the rest of time had access to the healing reality of a perfect parent, of a cosmic and eternal secure, earned, earned secure attachment. Jesus knew that we'd need community, so he built the church, and he knew we'd need a surrogate father figure so he called the creator of the cosmos this massive, like, unimaginable intelligence that has sang the spheres into their place in the solar system. Like, God, the God. He called him dad. And he taught us, hey, say our father when you pray. Because he's not just my dad. He's your dad, too. He's our dad. Remember how he said that secure earned attachment was like an investment? And then insecure attachment was like alone. Um, well, Jesus has got both of them covered, okay? Your loan, your debt, you've heard it at church before, your debt has been wiped out. 
by what Jesus did for you on the cross. This man, born of a woman, heals the sick, um, lives for his friends, and then dies for everybody. If he hasn't earned your secure attachment, I don't, don't look to me because I don't know what else I can do. <laughs> um, as far as the, um, the secure attachment, like the investment concept that you're going to need to return the investment by doing something in return or by being a certain person or being a certain way, Jesus had this to say, as I have loved you, that you would also love one another. That's the only return on his investment, on the free gift of grace, on the free gift of the cross. His only expectation is that imperfectly as, as we can, that we love each other in the way that he loved us. So, I wanna take a minute to just be quiet. Um, and regardless of where you're at, because I know that some of us here aren't even sure what we think about all this God stuff and this Jesus stuff. There's hurt from past church experiences or past experiences with Christians. Some of us are 40 years into following Jesus and wondering why we need to grow anymore, like wondering, well, Jesus got me. Why are we learning about all this? What does it matter? We're all in totally different places. But based on sort of some of the stuff I've talked about today, some of the stuff we've talked about in the series, um, I just want to take a minute to be quiet in total silence, so no piano, no nothing, and for you all to just consider um, what does this have to say about me, but also consider, and we're not going to do like an altar call, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, it is between you and God, to just consider is God, is Jesus a good place to look for attachment, to look for healing, to look for this earned secure attachment? So let's take a minute. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I just thank you for um, offering yourself as Abba, for offering yourself as Dad, as Mom, um, Lord, for sending Jesus to us as a brother, um, for giving us the church as a community. Lord, forgive us for when we have screwed it up. And Lord, um, I just want to pray that as we ruminate on these things and continue to want to draw closer to you and to ourselves and to each other, um, Lord, that you would just fill what sometimes feels like empty space, space where we don't have answers, space where we feel agitated or confused by asking questions um, like we're asking today about um, how we became the way that we are. Lord, um, 
pray that you fill that space with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would draw close to us, um, that you would give us peace, or that everyone in this room would have the ability to um, open themselves to you in, in some capacity, in hopes and with the promise that you can heal the parts of ourselves that are broken, that are hurt. Um, Lord, I love you. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today, um, to learn with these folks, and um, just to get to speak into um, what you mean to me and what you mean to the universe. Lord, uh, we pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all so much for being here. Again, um, if you want to get connected, if you're new here or you haven't found your people yet, you can stop by uh, the connection desk there right on the other side of the curtain and introduce yourself and see how you can get connected. We are so thankful for your generosity. Um, this is an incredibly generous community, and it is truly, truly affecting not just what happens in these walls, but um, everything that happens outside in our community in the city of Richmond. So thank you for that on behalf of me and our team and our partners. Um, if you need prayer, there will be people on either side of uh, the stage here to pray with you. And um, have a wonderful, superb Owl Sunday.